pop culture, music icons, and food gods. It's the Jeremiah Show with Dr. D. Broadcasting from the HJL Hospitality and Evolve Studios in LA, Santa Barbara, AM 1290, KZSB, and FM 96.9, Santa Barbara, or somewhere from the road. He's opened and fixed more than 200 restaurants, bars, nightclubs, hotels, and neighborhood joints around the globe. He's an industry driver, an author, and a columnist. He's a restaurateur with legendary rock star Mick Fleetwood on Fleetwood's On Front Street in Lahaina, Maui. And he's your radio host. And now, back from a race around the sun, Jeremiah Higgins. Welcome to the Jeremiah Show. I want to say good morning, Santa Barbara. We're we're uh, we're still here on our morning show, third week, and having a lot of fun. Good morning, Santa Barbara, man. I've got some uh, really fun guests for you today. Two two guys that I just uh, adore in the music industry. Mike Gormley, you guys know him. You love him. He hasn't been back for a while. We're waiting for another uh, series in his Mike Gormley Presents Music Icons. Started um, making a list of artists. I started. <laughs> I, I really did. Oh, you did? Good, Mike. So, yeah, he's a career consultant, a manager, uh, public relations, but he uh, has a company called LA Personal Development. We're going to get into that a little bit more in a moment. And if you haven't caught some of the interviews mike has interviewed peter asher miles copeland um list goes on it's a great great list and you want to go back to the uh, catalog on the jeremiah show and type in mike gormley and you'll find some really great interviews that mike's put together over the years here on the show um, and welcome back mike la personal development.com is his website we've also got michael frondelli now, the reason I've got, this is not a good time for my voice to go out, by the way, <laughs> but Michael Frondelli, the reason I've got these two guys together is uh, I was talking with Michael Frondelli, as you probably know, a couple weeks ago, music producer, he's a mixer, an engineer, he does film, TV, a post, and he's a consultant. Uh, Michael mentioned a band and I, I know a gentleman that has something in common with him. So I, it's all going to come together. Just to stick with me, guys, I want you to sit back just for a moment and just bask in your own glory here. If you don't mind, I want to give uh, the listener a little context in who you are and, uh, and, and what you've accomplished in music, what you've brought to us, really the, the music songbook, the soundtrack to, I, I bet every listener out there is alive lives uh really amazing so two music business icons today on the show under one roof now i know icons music legends uh those those that terminology is used quite a bit but you tell me if i'm exaggerating let me tell you a little bit about michael frondelli he's originally from queens new york and michael began his career as a staff engineer at jimmy hendrix electric lady studios uh and over a nine-year period he worked with many of our favorite artists including chick korea stanley clark kiss the rolling stones led zeppelin 
Ike and Tina Turner and Hall and Oates. From there, he launched his engineering and his mixing career with one of my very favorite albums of all time, Billy Idol's ferocious multi-platinum album, Rebel Yell. All right, Michael uh, now has conquered the East Coast, and he's not slowing down at all. He takes the West Coast. And this is before there was all that East Coast, West Coast rap, right, Michael? I mean, uh, uh, and, and battles in between the two, the musicians from East Coast, West Coast. This is probably before then, I, I'd imagine. Yep. <laughs> all right, so he takes, the, he takes the West Coast. Michael mixed Crowded House's debut album, release with the smash single don't dream it's over you guys all remember that pat benatar's seven the hard way dead man's party or oingo boingo with film score icon danny elfman the motels poison and berlin remember oingo boingo danny elfman and richard gibbs it's going to be on the test Michael expanded his craft to include film and TV, mixing score and co-writing a tune for film director John Hughes' revolutionary teen movie, The Breakfast Club. Back to New York City, engineering and mixing with Keith, Keith Richards, the Chuck Berry documentary, Hell, Hell, Rock and Roll, then Joe Jackson's Big World. And after mixing Eric Johnson's Grammy Award-winning Cliffs of Dover from the album Ah, via, via Music Home, Michael was approached to become the director of the famous Capitol Record Studios. In 92, he formed the Audio Network Foundation, employing EDN Net for Frank Sinatra's critically acclaimed, critically acclaimed excuse me, duets one and two uh, for Capitol. Becoming vice president, Michael launched Capital EMI into the business and mixing and producing 5.1 surround DVD audio titles with multi-platinum artists, including the Eagles, When Hell Freezes Over, Queen's Night of the Opera, Quincy Jones's uh, Basie and Beyond, Diana Crawls, The Look of Love, and the Buena Vista Social Club. Love those guys. All right. Am I exaggerating? Music legend? Music icon? I don't think so. Mike Gormley's up next. Born in Ottawa, Mike achieved top recognition as a journalist originally, and then a record company executive, artist manager, and a music supervisor for TV and films. I feel like you guys kind of had parallel lives uh, running here. He's been in the business, doesn't like me to give you the exact date, but over 40 years. <laughs> don't get mad at me mike uh in the music industry gormley as his friends call him has been responsible for selling setting into motion many many artists careers let me just give you a couple of them his work brought the world such successful artists as film composer danny elfman a massively successful pop band the bangles and helped launch the careers of such diverse artists as rod stewart rush bto the police and super tramp when mercury records was absorbed into the dutch giant german and dutch giant polygram mike assumed corporate public relations duties and he also helped establish polygram brand in the u.s so mike actually chose to move to la as publicity head for a m and uh rose to the post 
a vice president of publicity and assistant to the chairman. He worked closely with the police, Super Tramp, Herb Albert, Sticks, Squeeze, and others. And Mike eventually left A&M to start his own management firm, LAPD, Los Angeles Personal Development, with Miles Copeland, manager of the police and founder of IRS Records, with R.E.M., The Go-Go's, Fine Young Cannibals, and others. Um, okay, here we go. I'm, I'm bringing it all around here. During this time, Mike convinced Danny Elfman, leader of the legendary band Boingo Boingo, to write the score for Tim Burton's first movie, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which spawned uh, Danny's climb to the top of the film composer world. He's a multi-Oscar nominee, and he's considered one of the top five com film composers in the world. Welcome, guys. Uh, welcome to the show. And and I, did I exaggerate? I mean, when you hear your own just a small bit of your own bios back and the life that you've led in the music industry, the, the just amazing careers that you've spawned and, uh, and, and culture uh, cultivated and nurtured and brought to all of us. Uh, there really are the soundtrack to our lives. These artists, these songs, these, um, this, these bodies of work that you've been involved in. Is that a question? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure you guys are still there. Uh, I mean, what a great uh, career, both of you. How did you two meet? Was it uh, at a dead man's party? It was Boingo. Right, Michael? We, we met over Boingo activity. Yes, it was Oingo Boingo. It was uh, during the time of dead man's party. Right. And I think at the time, you probably had a conversation with Jim Fallon, right? Yes. And who was my manager at the time and put that together. And then I went on to do Boingo as well, mix that. And then um, in the midst of all that, you and Danny were working on a Steven Spielberg project. You were working on uh, Spielberg's Amazing Stories. Yeah. He did, a, he did a segment or an episode called Mummy Dearest, as I recall. Yeah. And we went over to the... Uh, the uh, Universal dub stage. And uh, I remember it was really difficult for Danny to get somebody to conduct for him at the time. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, it was he and Steve Bartek were in there and uh, it, they were having difficulties getting this, you know, I think he had like maybe 50 or 60 pieces on the dub stage. And I think he was literally the redheaded stepchild, you know, mm -hmm. um, because he, you got to get in with the, sort of the scoring composers social club there and, right uh, he was kind of on uh, uh we couldn't uh we couldn't even find an agent for him i i ended up getting him his first four movies because we couldn't find an agent to do it everybody rejected him and you know he conquered that why was that 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 he had such a hard time they didn't well i think i i, I think they just thought some sort of silly rock pop star has decided he can uh, score movies and they, they just didn't take it seriously. And then, and uh, you know, it was crazy. All they had to do was listen to the score for Pee Wee's Big Adventure and they would have known he could do anything. But um, it was a, it was a pretty difficult group to get in with. And um, 
but so we finally uh went and found our own agent and and uh who was working at a record company at the time he wasn't an agent at the time and um and uh, richard Kraft, and he, he ended up becoming one of the biggest agents in the business but it was he wasn't an agent until danny found him and said we need an agent and richard said okay it's went from there yeah, it was a difficult it was a difficult um, sort of clan to get involved in because, you know, it was the Jerry Goldsmiths and the Bill Conti's and the Elmer Bernstein's. And, you know, it was the rare occasion that you got somebody from an art band like Oingo Boingo, although you're right. He'd done Pee Wee Herman's Greatest Adventure. I think even at that time, didn't uh, didn't Joe Jackson, Joe Jackson was already doing scores i think he did one for uh for coppola uh oh, I, didn't, was, I didn't remember that i worked with joe a little bit at mercury i didn't realize he was doing that but that's great. yeah yeah i did uh big world uh, with him and david kirschenbaum uh oh. that live record and then he was getting gigs you know doing that but it was difficult for a, a guy like danny because of the kind of music he did nobody it, it, you couldn't get that kind of respect from the legitimate you know scoring composers it was a pretty closed club it was a very close club and i think a lot of it had to do with um uh, mainly film producers who are putting everything together if if they're if, if you hire somebody who doesn't work out it's on them and right. so they didn't want to take a chance they wanted to go find a, a proven uh composer so at least they were protected in some way and they can say well i got you the best guy you know so well, that, that was like henry mancini with quincy jones yeah you know henry mancini gave quincy jones his start and yeah. quincy had been studying orchestration with nadia boulanger in paris you know she just takes one person to turn your career around everybody needs a godfather or a rabbi you know you yeah somebody I, I, with, with danny it was it was Peewee, really. I mean, he was just, and 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 uh, Tim Burton were just Boingo fans. And they came up, they called us and said, can we meet with you? It wasn't like I made some brilliant move and, and got us in there. They 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 were a fan of his. And um, he didn't want well, to Danny, do it then. Uh, well, Danny, was, Danny was signed to MCA at the time, right? Um, were we at MCA? I, I guess we'd left A&M and gone to MCA at that You were at MCA because Kathy Nelson was at MCA. Yeah right with, uh That's tom right. trumbo and steve moyer yeah definitely and then michael goldstone was there yeah and they were big fans of danny's as absolutely yeah that, and and that's what it that's what it took but um we had a meeting on a friday night at warner brothers with with, with uh peewee and uh and tim and it you know that was their first movie as well it was danny's first movie but it was also um Pee-wee, Paul, Ruben, and and uh, Tim. Um, they, they were the first time they Tim Burton did it. Well, he'd made the little movie, but he hadn't done the big time yet. And they just were fans. And we got we, it was a Friday night, and he got the job. And then he called me on Saturday and said, "You got to get me out of this. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what you know. I don't know what's going on." Wow. And I just said, "Look, it's Saturday. Give me till Monday. Let me find out what's going on." <laughs> 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 and uh I, I worked i got steve barcheck became his orchestrator and then we found out about a thing called a music editor that we didn't even know existed but it, and it turned out to be a great partnership so uh 
So he got it done. He got it done beautifully. That score is amazing. So Danny was living in Topanga at the time, I think. Yeah. And I went up to his uh, his house, and this was, I guess, what year was that? That must have been 80. It had to be like 87, 86. Yeah, in that time frame, yeah. Yeah, and he had some of the first software, notation software. from Because okay. Danny played trumpet, and we played trumpet. And then he, he had a, a keyboard control controller that would uh control notation mm-hmm. and he was writing melodies out uh, in a computer uh at his house he said look at this i got this new stuff i said oh yeah this is really cool how'd you get that so uh yeah and then god bless steve steve started doing the orchestrations for him and he was, still he is. was essential yeah i know yeah yeah because i was at um that netflix event recently with uh they they showcased Wednesday with a thirty piece orchestra with Chris Bacon. Oh wow! Mm. And uh, uh, live scoring live to picture uh, with uh, some pre records, but live to picture. And um, and he had talked about Steve, you know, doing orchestrations, et cetera, et cetera. But Steve, when we did Spielberg's Amazing Story, when everything was starting to get weird in the control room, and they, you know who's going to do it, who's going to do it. And then I, I think Steve wound up doing it and wound up conducting the orchestra and making it happen. Um, you know, two really good friends. What a great friendship that that's been over the years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Michael, how, how much longer after uh, this period that you're talking about with Mike Gormley was with Bongo Bongo, Danny Elfman. When did you guys come together? How many years after? What well, it was, I think it was it was Dead Man's Party. So, and what movie was that in? Summer weird school? Science. Oh, oh, no, weird no, science. it was in Back to No Dead Man's Party. The song was in Back to School, Back to school with right. Dangerfield. Yeah, and I had worked on that movie because I mixed Rodney singing Twist and Shout. I mixed it for Shelley Yakis. <laughs> I mixed it over at AM with uh, Linda Perry, Richard uh, Perry's wife. And um, it was that scene, that, that, that party scene. But Dead Man's Party was the, was the big uh, frat party. And uh, they were, that was Boingo on screen playing. Exactly. That was amazing. That, that was part of the deal. They, they wanted Danny to score the movie. And, and Danny kept saying no. He, he, was, he was trying to... He did, I don't know how to put this, but he just he wanted classier movies at that point, you know, and and um, and maybe more challenging movies. But they they kept calling me going, well, how about this? How about they kept upping the, the offer? And finally, we got the offer up to uh, an acceptable level. But part of it was that Boingo would be in the movie. Great. So they did. So that's. That's how Danny scored the movie. Is I worked it out that the band would be in the movie because I was always trying to get Oingo Boingo. You know, there's they're so successful out here, and and in New York, they were basically unknown. Unknown, yeah. And uh, so I kept trying to find ways to to get it across the Rocky Mountains and over to over to the other side of the country. And I thought I thought him being a composer would help with that. And then get get Boingo in that movie and just do do whatever we can. But it kind of worked with Weird Science because Weird Science, right, was kind of a hit. You know, it was like a top 
30 or something like that and that helped that way but well interestingly danny told me he shared with me one time he says you know it was a rare occasion that he would want to write songs for film mm. and score it. like he would do one or the other either he put a song in a film or he would score it at that point it was different and i was working on the east coast with sort of the the other version of Oingo, which was Key Creole and the Coconuts with August Darnell right. when Tommy Mottola was managing them. Mm. And, uh, you know, you had these two art bands on either coast and both did not have the, the interaction uh, on, on the opposite coast. They couldn't, they couldn't get traction. Right. Um, but I saw Danny took me to a show in uh, Pomona, Cal Poly Pomona. He says, you got to see this. Because I never saw that kind of, you know, the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo and all that stuff that people grew up with out here. Yeah. And I saw this this college campus. It was crazy. I mean, mosh pits, and it was just nuts. It was out of control. Boingo would come on stage and people would stand up, and they didn't sit down until Boingo left the building. (laughs) I know. I know. it It was amazing. I watched this, I think it was 60 Minutes with uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, this interview, and they were talking about how Oingo Boingo, uh, they opened for Oingo Boingo quite a bit. And and they would just get, in the beginning, um, harassed and booed off stage and people throwing stuff at them. And then Danny Elfman came out and said, uh, I'm pretty sure this is on 60 Minutes, unless you told me this story, Michael. Um, but came out and said, we're all going to leave if you guys don't give these guys some respect. And they, they talked about that, how it had yet, they, the, their, the Oingo Boingo fans are so crazy and so in love with them. Uh, but they really opened the door for Red Hot Chili Peppers. Those shows, those shows with Chili Pepper and Boingo, those shows were so great. Yeah. They, they were just, that was to me was a perfect matchup. And if, if Chili Peppers hadn't started having hits up to me, it would have just been that package could <laughs> tour the world, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was real exciting. And, you know, it was so funny. I was having dinner with a friend the other night, uh, my friend Chuck Saffler from uh, Disney. And uh, uh, he was at the Hollywood Bowl concert that Danny did. Mm-hmm. He had pictures of, he's also a, an amazing photographer. And he took some amazing pictures of Danny, who's all like, you know, buffed out and tattooed and right. totally wild wildly wilder than he looked like when he was with Boingo. Yeah, I think you're right. I, when I see pictures of him, it's like, wow, that, that's looking like what people thought Danny was like. The funny thing is that he was uh, obviously uh, brilliant, but he wasn't a crazy guy that everybody thought he was, uh, you know, when he's off stage. He was, he hardly, when I was there, hardly, I mean, he might have had a beer every once in a while, or but uh, he was, He'd have fun, but it was serious. But I, you know, I had prior to meeting them, I'd been on the road with uh, Rod Stewart and the Faces and a couple of other bands like that that were have parties. I mean, every night had parties. <laughs> and um, I, I went on the road with Boingo, and um, I, I, I don't know, I, I just thought there was going to be a party somewhere, and no party. They went to Dan. We'd go to Danny's room and watch a movie after a show <laughs> that would be like that would be the height of the craziness <laughs> so, yeah it, was, it just seems that he always had a, a real um a work ethic that was yeah. you know very 
productive and he was always on to the next thing his mind was always working oh, eventually stuff. when boingo was still playing live and doing dates he'd he'd have whatever equipment in his hotel room so when the concert was over he'd go back to the hotel room and, and start composing for whatever he was working on at that point and then so my my plan for boingo to get better known because danny got better known actually ended up overshadowing the band and and uh uh, you know, it was all about Danny and Boingo backfired a little bit because it just became too much for Danny to do both. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, say, go ahead, Michael. I was going to say um, uh, at the time, because we were talking about Richard Gibbs earlier and Richard Gibbs wasn't in the band when I worked with them. It was Mike. No, he left already. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Bassich was uh, the keyboard player in the band. Yeah. Yeah, and he, they were so far ahead in terms of electronic ideas too. I and mean, he had he had a sampler that I used to he, I, he built for me uh, for sampling drums back then and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it was just they were so far ahead of them the, what was going on in yeah. other areas of the music industry. I got to take a break here, guys, in two minutes. But I did want to bring up Richard Gibbs. Mike, you still work with? Mr. Gibbs. More so than ever. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I could mention that or not, but we had such a great time out at Woodshed Studios, uh, recording studios. What an amazing time with Richard. He was such a great host. And uh, I just, and I know you, you guys have been friends and worked together for quite a while. Yeah. We figured we met in 83. 83. You figured that out, huh? <laughs> I, I think we brought that up. We were, we were trying to trace back the, the, to the date last time we saw each yeah, other right right well guys i'm going to take a real quick break this is this is exactly what i was hoping would happen i would be able to just kind of hang out and listen to the two of you talk because i love the stories um and the lives that you've lived have been so incredible um and i don't know how many people thank you for what you do but i i want to make sure we thank you and i thank you right now for the music and the and the um art that you've brought to my life for sure and and everybody out there um i was looking at your discography uh michael michael frondelli on your website and saw that you worked on um fiona apples a great album and so i'm going to take us out to break with uh fiona apples the first taste anything you want to say about fiona before we go to break I, I did I recorded strings on that record with uh, uh, Van Dyke Parks. Hmm. Yeah, that was uh, trying to remember the major title. hit. The, the album title. Yeah, we were doing that. Uh, yeah, great album. One of my favorite artists as well. I've had her. Her sister's been on the show before. Uh, okay, we'll be right back, guys, and more stories. Stick around. We are with today on the show Michael Frondelli uh, and Mike Gormley. Mike Gormley is uh, founder of LA Personal Development. Go to lapersdev.com. He can help you out with your career. I don't know how many new clients you're taking, Mike, but I know you've helped quite a few. Um, and he is skunk. Jeff Skunk, Baxter's manager. He's working with Richard Gibbs and so many great artists out there. Uh, Michael Frondell, he's a music producer, sound mixer, engineer, film, TV, post consultant. Michael Frondelli.com. Let me spell his last name F R O N D 
e l l i dot com. Michael Frondelli. We'll be right back. Shadow Stevens. While I'm doing this and that and the other thing at the very same time, I'm having a great time on the Jeremiah Show, the greatest show in the history of the world. For the love of God, subscribe. No, seriously, subscribe. Hi, this is Chris Hillman. If you've enjoyed my music with the Birds, the Flying Burrito Brothers, Manassas, Souther Hillman Fure Band, McGuinn Clark and Hillman, Evercall Ready, Rice Rice, Hillman and Peterson, and the Desert Rose Band. That's a lot of music. I hope you'll enjoy my new memoir, Time Between, My Life as a Bird, Burrito Brother, and Beyond. You can find it on my website, chrishillman.com. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, it's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack telling you, asking you, to watch the show Sprung on Freebie, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny, it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Welcome, Los Angeles. The Jeremiah Show is now on Radio Candy Radio. Discover a world of emotions, your digital radio. The Jeremiah Show airs 10 p.m. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. RadioCandyRadio.com. to the jeremiah show two great music legends icons as i call them mike gormley michael frondelli 
are both here with us today. Their, uh, their paths have crossed a few times over the years, but first came together over Oingo Boingo, Dead Man's Party. And we just, uh, if you missed the first half of that, check it out on the podcast. Um, really cool behind the scenes uh, stories there, guys, that you share. Um, I'm going to step back out of the way, but Mike my, my Gormley, I've always wondered, you know, we've known each other for years, and um, I wanted to hear the story about Prince's Hazy Shave of Winter and how the Bengals came to be. I know that's you're doing in some in, in many ways uh, um and and how you put all that together can you tell that story for the first time yeah um well you know they were playing around town in smaller clubs and that sort of thing and uh my my partner miles copeland who was at that time exceptionally busy with the police who were just taking over the world but he did see them somewhere and i don't know how he who got them there or what happened and he called me up and he said he asked me to go see them and i did and i wasn't that impressed um but i there 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 were a couple of songs i liked and their vocals were incredible so he said well go back and go back and see them again you so i i did and and that led to a meeting that we had where we offered to manage them but they were called the bangs at that point mm. and um uh but that's that's how we came together um and it was and they thought we were going to sign them to irs records which was miles's label but no we wanted to develop them as a separate from separate from the the copeland circle although they were booked by ian copeland and they were you know miles was uh, managing them with me but um, uh, so they were part of that family, but they weren't actually in the, the mainstream in that sense. So we worked with them for three or four years and developed um, developed them slowly. But then um, then uh, Prince Prince came along and was a fan, and uh, he'd show up at Bangles gigs. And he was, he was so hot at the time. It was amazing that he, that he would do that, but he did. And, uh, he actually helped us on two, on two levels. One was that he wrote Manic Monday, which was our first top mm-hmm. 10 hit. Uh, and he sent, he sent that to me in a, on a cassette in those days with three other songs. And, um, the band listened to the whole cassette and they picked Manic Monday. And then, uh, then it became a hit. And then, a, I don't know six months later or something i got a i got an invoice from prince's <laughs> office <laughs> and i said what's it for he's getting paid as a writer and they said well no you used his musicians and just had the the girls sing right i said no <laughs> they played on that record that's the Bengals playing on the record and singing they went oh okay well that was that invoice out the window and and uh, <laughs> uh but it was it was cool he was he was uh, he was very very helpful and he was helpful with um um in a roundabout way with um uh walk like an egyptian where uh wow. we were uh, by then the bangles you know they'd had a hit they were they were up the ladder somewhat um and we wanted to uh we had we needed a we had a follow-up single uh it got to like number 11 so we were we were alive but it wasn't you know blowing wide open yet and uh and i went to um columbia records in new york 
And I found out only about a year ago on this show that Miles went to Columbia Records in London. And we didn't know the other guy was doing this. And we sat down with the, you know, the head of promotion and said, we, we got, we got, you got to get walk like an Egyptian out. And they, they both situations said to Miles and to me separately, um, well, we've got the Springsteen record coming out and the Streisand record coming out and this and that. But I promise you when they're taken care of, I promise you we'll release uh, Walk Like an Egyptian. And that was in like June of, of that year. And um, <clears throat> by September, the record was coming out and, and he, he called and said, we're going we'll, to we're going to kick it off this way. Um, Kiss Radio in L.A., is starting uh, a series, live concert series called Manic Monday. And it's going to be at what was then called the, the Palace, I guess. And um, and so, and we like the Bengals to kick kick it off, have them come in and play. And I said, uh, and, and, and that means, you know, with radio stations, that means they'd probably play the record. There's no promise, but they, and um, we did that and Prince showed up. And, and, and he, and that just got the radio station very excited. Yeah, and, and on top of that, we we were down in the dress room after the show and they were, they were to do an encore. And they said to Prince, can you, you want to come on with us? And he said, sure, I will. And so what should we play? And they, they, they didn't know. And he turned to me and he said, well, what's your manager say? And I said, uh, and I was thinking, okay, he's an amazing musician. And God bless the Bengals, they were good, but they were not Prince, you know? And I thought, I better keep it simple. So I suggested Johnny Be Good, a Chuck Berry song. And he, they went out and he played Johnny Be Good with the Bengals. And um, radio station added the record, and then another one in Atlanta added the record, and then all of them, boom, by, by uh, within two months, it was number one record. Wow. I loved it on uh, Less Than Zero, the soundtrack to Less Than Zero is where I heard it. Uh, do you remember that movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course you do. Uh, did you get it? Did you get the soundtrack? That I, I negotiated. The soundtrack? I negotiated the, not the soundtrack. They only did the one song, the title track. But I, I went to the director's office and we we worked it out and um, and they uh, they recorded the song beautifully. It was it was it was cool. I mean, it's a Paul Simon song, you know, mm -hmm. and Paul Simon had to approve it. And he did because he owns his own publishing. He had to approve it. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it worked out and it, I, it got top five, I think. I don't know if it got number one or not. I, I think and it was perfect for that movie. I can still see the, the scene and, and, uh, um, that was a hell of a movie, man. Yeah. I, that yeah, was, I got to watch that one again, <laughs> back on the list. <laughs> All right, let me take another real quick break. Activity breeds activity. This is Mike Gormley's uh, feeling on life. And I love that. I, I, I agree, guys. I, I think both of you guys have so much activity and you've, you've created so much great work. Mike Gormley, career consultant and manager at LAPersonalDevelopment.com, L-A-P-E-R-S-D-E-V.com. Michael Frondelli. Music producer, mixer, engineer, film, TV post, and consultant, michaelfrondelli.com. Both of you, uh, so such great stories. We're going to be right back and hear a few more. We'll be right back.
Welcome, Somerset, England. The Jeremiah Show is now on Core Radio. Keep on rocking to the core. Core Radio, the Jeremiah Show, airs at 10 p.m. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursday. Core Radio dot rocks. This is Moss Jacobs, and you're listening to the Jeremiah Higgins Show. Please stay tuned. And when you need to go see some music, when it's just burning a hole in your soul, Santa Barbara Bowl is the place to be. SBBowl.com, GoldenVoice.com. Good day, my friends. I'm Billy Mandarino, the Nowist. They say the best meditation practice is the one you use. Some of the most powerful books ever written instruct us to start each day with just five minutes of meditation in the morning. I have created a meditation that is easy to fuse into your day. This powerful one-minute meditation connects you back to the present moment, no matter where you are in your busy day. Better yet, this meditation can be done with your eyes open or closed. The key to getting out of stress is releasing yourself from the gravity of time. The best way to do that is to enter the present moment continually. After all, when you're in the now, you have won your presence back into your life. Now, spelled backwards, is one. To go deeper, visit BillyMandarino.com. With the Jeremiah Show. back to the jeremiah show if you're just joining us this morning uh hey good morning santa barbara and uh, around the world mike gormley is our guest and you know him our co-host he, he hosts mike gormley presents music icons check out his back catalog on the jeremiah show uh and michael frondelli michael frondelli.com 
Um, again, two two of the biggest guys pulling the strings behind the scenes, um, really lay in the soundtracks to our lives and have added so much to mine and this show. Um, Michael, back I mean, when you began your career as a staff engineer at Jimi Hendrix Electric Lady Studios, like in uh, New York City, you work with Ike and Tina Turner, and I just thought it was might be a nice time if you if if you had anything if that you wanted to say or, or any stories that you could share with us on on Tina Turner. The- I would. Um, um, I posted something in Facebook about it. Um, I worked with Ike and Tina Turner in March 1976. They were in town to play the Empire Room at the Waldorf Astoria. And they came in earlier in the week to play a couple of shows over the weekend. And uh, they decided to come in to record to Electric Lady Studios. And uh, with another engineer, Dave Whitman and myself, we worked around the clock. And uh, it was it was a crazy time. I mean, they would come in and the only time we'd stop is for food or blow. <laughs> it was, I mean, I we'd had these back then we had 10 by 10 inch quarter inch tape boxes and um he would fill the tape box fill the top of the tape box with blow i turn it guitar picks and pass it around you know? and uh i was i was much younger then and not as wise as i am today and um we uh uh tina would come in a little later in the afternoon and or early evening and she would be very patient in the lounge waiting for her call to come in and sing and once she got in front of the microphone she was just on i mean it, she was just you know a force to be reckoned with never stopped singing as long as the tape was running she was singing uh and i knew this because i said to i i said where do you want me to punch in he said punch in anyway she's always singing and it was it was kind of alarming to me in a way the way she was you know trained to do that with him and how he ran the show um but she was always the lady she was nothing nothing but sweet and nice the iquettes came in uh and then i got to go to the show at the waldorf and um tina was uh, uh on stage just electric never stopped shimmering I mean, she was just vibrating the entire time. And if the girls missed steps, uh, they would get fined. <laughs> Ike would find them. Really? And uh, yeah, he, he was he was a, he was a hard character. And then um, I wouldn't see her again perform until she uh, had her showcase when she was signed to Capitol at the Ritz with Roger Davies. And I was standing out in the audience with people like Bill Graham. And uh, this was sort of her her new career. She had uh, transformed herself. Roger Davies gave her a whole new persona, helped her really uh, carve out an image for herself that would sustain for a long period of time. Um, later, when I got to Capitol, I started hearing all the backstories about how John Carter had signed her and Terry Britton and the songs and the politics that went on behind the scenes because she was already an older woman at that time. 
And it was very tough for not only an older woman, but an older woman of color in the music industry to be able to reinvent herself. But uh, God bless John Carter for really sticking with her and making sure that she got uh, every opportunity possible. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, the last time I saw her, I was in Paris um, at this stadium with about 80,000 people. I was a guest. I was with Quincy Jones and his family, and I was a guest and seeing her on this elevated platform, uh, this riser that they had, this crane that pulled her up above the audience. And, and it was just phenomenal that she, there she is with 80,000 people on her feet. Um, so, you know, we lost a beautiful lady, a great icon. Uh, and I'm so grateful that she shared her story. I think it gave a lot of women a lot of strength uh, and hope that they can reinvent themselves, have better lives after abusive relationships and things like that. So um, on all levels, she was a queen. Yeah. What, what song do you personally like that, that defines her to you? Um, that it well, you know, it, there's quite a few. Um, I had worked with Holly Knight uh, back in the early days with a band called Siren before they became Spider. So she wrote "Better Be Good to Me," which is a great song. Uh, her version of "Proud Mary" that was classic. Yeah, I mean, uh, nobody did it better than her. I mean, I think she did it better than than uh, John Fogerty. Uh, and he might admit that too. I mean, he just—he was. I just saw a TikTok thing that he did, a dedication to her, and he sang "Proud Mary" to her uh, in dedication. Yeah, she she just lit up the stage no matter what she did. Um, but she was never lewd, you know. She was never, never tawdry in any way, shape, or form. No matter how much flesh she exposed, she was always a lady, and never, never, you know. Out of, out of sorts. I mean, it just, uh, it, it gave women uh, something to shoot for, you know? Right. You could be, you could be sexy and, and not, not be a slut, you know? She was never slutty at all. So, you know, God bless you, Tina. I love that. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for sharing your personal story with her. I appreciate that. Um, we're going to, Go to to our final break here. Um, Mike Gormley, Rod Stewart, Maggie May. I'm going to play that here, but uh, one of my favorites of his songs. I just love the lyrics. Um, if you could quickly, before we go to break, I've heard this story a long time ago. But you talked about when you, when you were working with Rod and he was, he was just Rod Stewart. Big high heels yellow suits <laughs> and you were in a small town diner with him could you tell that story again do you mind no 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 it wasn't small time <laughs> uh, small town diner it was chicago oh, and it was wow. um it was going this ages us as it was going to see in a theater the godfather and he and i uh he was around chicago because mercury records was headquartered in chicago so he was I don't think he was doing a show. I think he was in town for some sort of business. But anyway, um, we used to play pool together and hang out together, that sort of thing. And and when when we could, which wasn't that often. But um, he 
it, we were out one evening we were playing pool and and uh and he was wearing a canary yellow suit with canary yellow shoes with heels <laughs> you know uh, and and um and i i wasn't outlandish but i was like my sort of salmon colored pants and a blue jacket and um we had we had been playing pool and then we went to a bar and we uh, almost got um swamped in the bar they started realizing who he was and and we had to just get out of there uh and we decided to go see the godfather and um <laughs> we're walking into the theater and there's the uh, ushers to my right as we walk in and i've never told rod this i haven't seen him in years anyway but um i heard the guy go oh look at her and her girlfriend <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I thought, well, okay, that's cool. Whatever. <laughs> but um, you know, it was and that he dressed like that off stage. He didn't he didn't put stuff on and go on stage. He dressed off stage like he was on stage. And it was fairly outlandish for the day, for the time. Rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, thanks for telling us that story. Uh, we'll be right back. We're, we're we are with Micah Gormley and Michael Frondelli. You gotta, if you missed any of this show, you gotta go check it out. Go back to the podcast and uh, we'll be right back after this quick break. I remember the 35 sweet goodbyes when you put me on the Wolverine up to Annandale. When your daddy was quite surprised To find you with the working girls in the county jail I was smoking with the boys upstairs when I Check out Jeremiah's top 10 new artist picks on Radio India Alliance each week. The Radio India Alliance is a chart service that allows indie recording artists an opportunity to have chart placements. We don't charge. We support RadioIndiaAlliance.com. Hi, this is Ron Sexsmith on The Jeremiah Show, and I'd like you all to check out my latest record. It's called Hermitage, and um, you can find it wherever you find all the other albums you like, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it too. All right. Take care. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of The Jeremiah Show. So listen.
Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. I'm with Michael Frondelli, Mike Gormley, LA Personal Development, um, michaelfrondelli.com. Let me spell it for you one more time. Uh, Michael's last name is spelled F-R-O-N-D-E-L-L-I, michaelfrondelli.com. You can check out his discography, uh, all the different great things that he's working on right now. There's too many to mention here in, in our hour. You can also check out Mike Gormley on LA Personal Development, L-A-P-E-R-S-D-E-V.com. Mike, are you still taking new clients if they've got some talent and you've got the time? Should they still contact you? Uh, well, there's a part of my uh, company that's like, it's more advisor. Yeah. Then, then managers maybe help out for a period of time or something like that. And it in, involves uh, paying me to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you're worth every penny, and I'm sure a lot more. Yeah. Same with you, Michael. You're doing. You're working on. Um, you tell us what you're doing with licensing and music artists. Yeah, I have a little company with uh, my partner Gary Stambler uh, called Coolsville Music Licensing. And it's all lounge music. It's all based on uh, what we did, uh, uh, artists that we pursued when we were working with Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, uh, when we did two records with them. So all these lounge acts that came out of the Derby, uh, we have about 100 songs that are on this website, coolsvillemusic.com. And um, fun stuff. A lot of them are covers, but they're really cool covers. And uh, reinvented for film and television uh were you part of uh big bad voodoo daddy when they did swingers movie swingers just after what happened was that they had made the record they had done you me and the bottle makes three for the movie yeah and the record did nothing the soundtrack did nothing uh what happened was that uh my partner brad benedict who created the ultra lamp series for capital uh, 23 CD set, all curated based on, you know, Bongo, Bongo Land, Organs in Orbit, Bachelor Pad Royale, really cool stuff and great artwork. Um, we went in the Derby. We found them. We loved the band. It was, it was a love fest. And I took them in the Capitol. We cut a one track and realized what they needed to do in order to be able to make a mainstream. Brian Setzer wrote, already been out squirrel and zippers are already been out uh, cherry pop and daddies i'm sorry cherry pop and daddies were first and brian setzer had done the uh they've done the, the gap commercial came out and um so we took big bad voodoo daddy and recut that song you me in a bottle makes three along with i remember that tapes. song well yep you and me in a bottle makes three. And they were in Santa Barbara almost. I mean, it felt like every weekend we would go down and, you know, when I was in college, we'd go down and see Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and many nights stacking my ankle, breaking my ankles and, <laughs> you know, on that dance floor uh, down here. I, I forget the name of it now, but everybody in Santa Barbara would remember. Well, they're a Ventura band, you know, and, and uh, we found them at the Derby. There were lines around the corner. I think it was like on a Thursday night and people coming in like an hour and a half, two hours earlier just to get swing dance lessons because, you know, Mikey gets the girl when they play the song in the movie. And, uh, yeah, that's a great, them. that's one of the best scenes ever. Yeah. So they, they, they premiered that at, um, Vince Vaughn and, uh, and, um, 
Oh, now I'm blanking on John Favreau. Thank you. How can I forget that? They both uh, premiered that at USC Film School on one of the film nights uh, before mm-hmm. it was in theaters. And they all they were all on stage, did a panel. And I was just like, I am like, I'm in the right place. I love this. This is such a fun movie, such a great movie. Well, unfortunately, guys, we got to say goodbye for now. But uh, and I came back and I got to mention this Blue Highway, one of my favorite songs by Billy Idol off of the Rebel Yell album. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for being a part of that and bringing that album to life. And to me, that was, uh, again, we've talked about this in our last show, but together, um, just one of those mile, monumental milestone albums for me. I just loved it. I was in seventh grade. I had to I cut the leather, <laughs> brisk, uh, the bands with the studs on it, and I would just do the Rebel Yell <laughs> punch. <laughs> um I'm going to take us out with, uh, by the way, I also played Mike Gormley, um, My Old School by Jeff Skunk Baxter, one of the off of uh, Speed of Heat album. Amazing album. If you haven't checked it out yet, pick it up. Um, so good. So good. Every song on that album. Um, and Jeff is uh, Skunk is a client of yours and a good friend I know. So, guys, thanks so much for all the great music. I, I don't know if you were involved with this one. I'm going to take it. Uh, out and finish the show with uh tonight with david bowie and tina turner uh, I, lo- I love the song it's a lot of fun and i just thought it was a nice uh, song with tina turner um and to pay tribute and honor her as well uh thank you so much guys thank you so much for doing this thank you thank your- you man all right well, uh, michael frondelli i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna keep bringing you pulling you back in this show i I love your stories um so i look forward to the next time you're on mike gormley don't keep us in anticipation too long we need a mike gormley presents (laughs) okay okay i I got a list i'm telling i'm not kidding guys people i want to interview so we'll 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 get going okay well we look forward to whenever you bring a story it's always always a good one and always welcome and uh one of one of michael one of the one of the ones i want to interview is uh vatos oh cool john hernandez drummer for boingo he's got great stories so that's one of them okay well, i'm we're gonna hold it hold you to it mm-hmm. everybody have a great day and up next is mariel hemingway and melissa yamaguchi with outcomes the sun uh communicate but listen more and evolve
this is comedian Mod Sobrani, and you are listening to The Jeremiah Show. Listen, man. Did you like our soundtrack? Find all of our soundtracks on Spotify. The Jeremiah Show. Look for the black label. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Communicate, listen more, and evolve. My name's Danny Trejo. Jeremiah, you're loved, Holmes. I love you. I love It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.